Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. In my book, The Impact Makers, I talk about one aspect of exceptional leadership being leveraging data to make improved decision-making, to optimize performance of teams, and one area of marketing where we have a lot of data and there is a lot of growing spend is in the area of search marketing and pay-per-click. And we're going to explore that area with a globally recognized expert. Fred Valleys is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, author, and leading influencer in pay-per-click search marketing. Fred was one of Google's first 500 employees, and he has really helped pioneer PPC marketing as the company's first AdWords evangelist. Today, he serves as co-founding CEO of Optimizer, a leading and award-winning PPC management software system. And Fred is out there providing best practice perspectives to leaders around the world. And we're fortunate enough to have them on the podcast today. Fred, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Hey, well, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's great to be here. So I really want to start out in kind of going back, looking at your career journey. What originally fueled your passion in this whole area of PPC digital marketing? What really drove you to focus your your efforts around that? Yeah, well, you know, it may not be the, the nicest answer, but it was a little bit of money. Um, so I was in as so many things, right? But listen, I was in uh, college at the time and I figured out that you could buy these keywords on a system called GoTo and that those ads would then lead to a landing page that you could decide. And this was a, like really a nascent way of advertising. You know, but back in the day, if you wanted to run ads, you basically had to call up a TV station or a radio yeah. station or a newspaper. Everything was super hard. And then here comes this new system where I can literally log in on my browser out of my dorm room and buy a keyword and go and sell whatever thing I think I can make money with. And that kind of sparked my interest. Um, and that was in 1998, but I wasn't very good at it. And then a couple of years later, uh, I got my second job out of college and that happened to be at Google. And all of a sudden I'm in these meetings where we're discussing who are the biggest advertisers on Google. Um, a funny story, like back in the day, so this was 2002, like someone spending $30,000 a month was like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Uh, nowadays, that's like peanuts, right, in PPC. But uh, but yeah, I, I kind of got wind of what these advertisers were doing, what kind of things they were selling. And I was like, oh, I think I can do this too. Like this is the missing link in what I was trying back in 1998. Um, and so I became a big PPC advertiser. I was doing affiliate marketing for brands like eBay and, and really started to figure out how the system worked, what was broken in the Google ad system, how I could fix that using my own coding abilities. Um, and that was a passion, right? Because now I'm like making money, I'm doing cool stuff, I'm building tools. Um, and from there on, it's been, uh, you know, 20 plus years in PPC. Yeah, it's interesting when you, it's all relative, right? You talk about 30,000 seeming like big money 20 years ago. And I was looking at a stat about search ad spending and in one forecast that it was going to reach nearly $200 billion by next year. So uh, times have changed. It's It's been a rapid ascension. And 
obviously a highlight. You mentioned joining Google being a real difference maker for you, your employee number 500. What did you take from that experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I took a lot from it, right? So I ended up being the evangelist and giving talks on like the 10 principles of innovation at Google. But really one of the things that may be most interesting to myself was I had a, an electrical engineering degree from Stanford. And here comes Google after the dot-com bubble has burst. And they're basically saying, hey, would you like to come in and review ads for us? Like literally manually look at every ad that comes into the system and look at the keywords an advertiser has submitted and make a judgment on whether that's like relevant or not. And I'm like, are you guys kidding? Like I have a double E degree from Stanford. Like what are you talking about? But the thing that I missed and that Google and Larry and Sergey really knew was you know, we have this small company and we need to hire people who are able to do more than what we ask them to do today. Um, so hire really smart people who are able to figure out what is going to happen in those next five years, right? Fred's not going to be reviewing ads, but we don't know what he's going to have to do. But let's just make sure he's capable. And so, like, I ended up being at this company with tons of smart people, over capable for the type of stuff we were doing at the time. But then we all ended up doing interesting things. And again, 10, 20 years later, we've, uh, I mean, so many of my friends are like CEOs and founders and leaders at really big, important companies. And so that, that was really cool. Yeah. And so much about personal growth is getting outside of your comfort zone, right? And so, so oftentimes we kind of box ourselves in to say, well, this is what I'm meant to do because I have a certain pedigree. I've got a degree. And what you're saying is get out of that comfort zone. And from a company perspective, tap into the, the the brilliance and the potential of people outside of just putting them into boxes, having them do new and different things, and then watch amazing results happen. I love that story. That's great. Now, I'm a marketer uh, professionally, been doing it for a long time. Brad, it is really uh, challenging right now. Uh, there's just emerging technology, intensely competitive markets. But from your perspective, what makes marketing so much harder today than maybe it was even 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's this weird thing where you said there's more competition. So obviously the landscape where you're competing has gotten tougher. But then the engines like Google, they have this really concerted effort to make things easier, right? And I remember, um, I think it was Sridhar Ramaswamy, who was senior VP of ads like four years ago at Google. And he got up on stage at Google Marketing Live, their big annual event. And he said, Google ads is advertising that works for everyone. And that's such a simple statement, but it kind of predicted all this artificial intelligence that was going to come along. And, and the point was, you know, you don't have to be a dedicated marketing team. You don't have to be someone like you who's been doing marketing your whole life and who knows every in and out and every little trick that shouldn't be required for you to be able to market your business on search on you know all the other places where Google users might go, where, where users in general go on the internet. And so, but that's also changed the competitive landscape because now as like a professional marketer, all of a sudden you're no longer just competing against the other professionals, but you're competing against every little business that has a message to put out there and, and they're able to be successful at it thanks to all of this automation that's come along. And so I think this automation is a double-edged sword, right? It's uh, it's basically helping people get decent enough results, but for professional marketers who start to maybe rely on it, it's actually making for worse results for a, a more competitive landscape. And so I think that is surprisingly, you know, it was supposed to make us more efficient, I think, 
but all this automation and technology is actually making things a little bit harder too. Yeah. It's kind of a leveling of the playing field is what you were describing there is what's really happened there. And that's, it just contributed to the competition. And are there some other impacts you see things like machine learning and AI having in terms of digital marketers, either the skills that they need to have or just how, how their world is going to change? Yeah. I mean, so I wrote my first book, uh, Digital Marketing in an AI World, a couple of years ago. I was basically to try to answer that question, right? So in this world where Google, and I talk about Google a lot because it's the leader in search marketing, but you can equate that also to Microsoft ads and Amazon ads. But, but so these companies, they're basically coming out with all of this automation technology. Uh, but you as humans, what do you do? Like, are you going to be put out of a job or is there just a new role that you have to play? And back then I equated it to you as the PPC expert, you can be the PPC doctor who diagnoses and like prescribes what's necessary to fix what ails you as a marketer. You got the PPC pilot um, and the pilot's role nowadays is, is mostly really just monitoring systems, right? And dialing in the autopilot and making sure that if the autopilot has issues, that they're there to step in and, and, and fix things because it's a high enough value proposition when you have 200 people in a plane that you might want to put that sort of a safeguard in place. And the same thing in PPC, if you're spending $100,000 a month or even $10,000 a month, like that's good money to your business. You want to have a human uh, over, overseeing what that automation is doing. And then the third role and then the one that I think is potentially the most interesting is the PPC teacher. So as you have all of these automated systems, remember that we talk about AI, but a lot of the AI at Google is actually of the machine learning flavor. And the word itself implies it, right? It's, it's learning. So who teaches the thing that's learning? And so you as the human, if you can figure out what is it you can contribute to the machine's learning patterns to make it better understand your business and your unique situation, that's going to give you a leg up. Um, so those were the three things that I said that humans could move towards and how they could sort of re reskill themselves to be relevant in this modern day and age. Yeah, there is so much, uh, I hear a lot of cautionary voices out there, um, Fred, you know, out in the media right now around, well, you know, all of these developments in AI, what is this going to mean? Loss of jobs. And, um, you know, is this dangerous? And I think what you're saying is with the right proactive, uh, learning and adaptation, there's still going to be meaningful opportunities for the human factor. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, we may have pushed it at this point to a stage where, um, I mean, because that was sort of the old thinking, right? That when the, the, the mill came by, like um, clothes and um, were easier to make. And when engines came along, like all of a sudden you could have factories run faster I don't know. I mean, are we getting to this point in the world where universal basic income is basically going to become the thing that we need to be okay with? Because so much of the work can eventually be done by the machines. And so it's kind of questioning, why do we even work, right? And, and, and I'm kind of pointing this out because Larry, uh, so Larry Page from Google, I mean, he basically said that even a number of years ago, humans' basic needs could be satisfied with just a couple of minutes of work a week, right? Obviously, most of us are not satisfied with a basic standard of living, like we all want more. That's sort of where things are headed. But if you just really looked at what two humans need to, to sustain themselves, we don't need to do that much work because of technology, we can be so hyper-efficient um, that we could actually spend most of our time 
playing and not doing actual work. And it, it also, then you look at like, why are people making money nowadays as Instagram influencers, as video gamers posting videos on Twitch um, and these types of things, right? Like it's entertainment is becoming work, but it's kind of explained if you understand that all of this technology is driving us to have to do less actual work to get the means that we need to live the way that we want to live. And so I think we might be continuing down that path. Um, and it's kind of a scary vision, but it's also, we just have to rethink like, again, why do we work? Right. I think so. that's a really, really compelling question, especially in a culture like here in the U S where it's been noted that we've been overworked, right. Just in terms of the demands of corporate jobs and, you know, the, the fact that we have less, kind of structured vacation time even here in the US than even you know other countries around the world. So it seems just cultural and mindset has been work, work, work. We talk about work-life balance, people getting burnt out. And what you're saying is painting a vision of a future where, wait a minute, we should be thinking about this maybe very differently in, in terms of more time not working. But it is, it, it's a total mindset shift from where we've been just driving work more, make more, so we can acquire more. It is interesting though. It is. And I don't know if we're going to get there in my lifetime, um, but I, I certainly think it is going to happen at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, automation is like this this crazy thing, right? And nowadays with chat GPT in the mix, the, the funny thing about chat GPT is that it isn't exactly new AI. Like when I worked at Google, uh, this was 20 years ago. Now I'll say about 15 years ago, we introduced the first type of artificial intelligence in Google ads, and it was in the form of quality score. And anyone who's done PPC, they know about quality score, right? It's basically Google's measure of how relevant a keyword is to a user search and to your ad. And so then basically they give you a one to 10 score and the higher that score, the less you have to pay for getting a click in an auction. Um, it's actually the underlying technology that made Google as successful as it is today. It's the relevance factor, the quality score factor. But a lot of people don't understand that that was machine learning at work. Um, then we had Google predict. I worked on that one too. So where we started to say, well, why does a user have to complete their whole search query? Why don't we predict and tell them what they're likely to want to type in to make it faster to get to their result? That was machine learning. And so machine learning has been around for such a long time. Um, but then all of a sudden, Chad GPT comes out and it's like, oh, my God, it's like all different. It's new. It's like this crazy thing. And honestly, I mean, it is a crazy thing. It has really pushed it further. Um, but I think we also have to take a step back and understand like AI has played quite a significant role in many people's lives. It's just that it hasn't been quite as public. Um, so, yeah, now, now people are really asking that question. How do we use it? How do we make the best of it? And I think a really big thing advertisers have to think about uh, we call it PPC insurance, right? As you trust more of what you used to do manually to the machines, you have to have a layer. Uh, we call it automation layering, but it's basically it provides PPC insurance so that if the machines do something stupid, you're there to step in and save it. Um, and I can give you examples of stupid stuff it's done, but uh, but I think people certainly need to put this in place. Well, speaking of PPC, right, we've got so much uh, competitive positioning and marketing investment going on uh, in digital marketing. What are the the foundations? You know, when you think about PPC, a lot of spend, a lot of companies out there trying to do it, but how can doing it right truly enable a company to differentiate and, and get to the next level? 
Yeah, I mean, I think PPC is so foundational to any marketing strategy. Uh, and maybe the best way to, to illustrate this is, again, when I was working at Google and PPC was maybe a little bit less understood, there, were, uh, there was a big phone company. Um, and I won't mention the brand, but the, the big phone company was basically like, hey, we, uh, we just got access to the latest iPhones. We're going to do this amazing uh, TV commercial to tell people that if they switch to our service, they get a free iPhone or they get like a huge discount. Okay, but uh, so they spend $50 million on that TV campaign, but the executives decide that that's enough. They don't need to buy any search ads on Google because it's okay. Like people will be influenced by the TV and they'll go to the store and they'll buy that thing that they want them to buy. So here they go. They run the $50 million worth of ads. And of course, consumer behavior is completely shifted, right? And so what do consumers nowadays do when they see something on TV they like? Well, they, they go to, back in the day, they went to their computer and they looked it up. And all the competitors of that phone company had actually bought those keywords around iPhone and, and phone plans. And they were just raking it in off of this $50 million that somebody else had spent because, sure, that one company had bought the upper funnel, the branding, the awareness component, but they hadn't bought the, uh, the direct response, the bottom yeah. of the funnel when people were actually ready to convert. And so that's why PPC is so important, right? It's like when somebody's ready to turn that need into action, and they type in that keyword that indicates that they're ready to do this, you got to be there. And it's so measurable. It's so easy to modify. Like you can control the bids, you can control the targeting, the messaging, the landing page. Um, and so PPC is, is so critical to any marketing strategy um, because, I mean, if you look at the numbers, it just, it works. Yeah. It's really that last mile, isn't it? Um, it that, is. that really critical last mile. Now, from a Google perspective, AdWords, you were an evangelist early on, you know, so much about that. Any secrets you want to share in terms of getting better performance? <laughs> well, I mean, the secrets have uh, evolved quite a bit. So back in the day, it was like, yeah, just buy every keyword that's a typo of the thing that you want to buy because it's cheaper. Uh, but Google has locked it up, right? Nowadays, there's actually very few true secrets that are going to give you uh, like a steal. There's no more steals. Let's put it that. Let's put it that way. But there are certainly still tricks, right? And that was my my second book that I then wrote as a follow up. It's called Unlevel the Playing Field. Uh, but one of the big premises of that book is like teach the machine, right? Like I said, it's the PPC teacher. But how do you go and teach the machine? Well, I, I think too many companies they just get stuck on communicating an impartial uh, or sorry an incomplete goal to the machine. And, and so in the old days, you would do manual bidding, right? So you choose the bid for every keyword you put in. Those days are gone. Nowadays, you go to Google and you say, like, here's the thing I'm selling. Here's a bunch of keywords about that. But Google's going to figure out all the exact keywords anyway themselves. But what you do put in is a, a target cost per acquisition or a target return on ad spend. And so based off of that, Google's now going to start setting the bids for certain search terms to show your ad. And their machines are smart enough that they will generally hit your target cost per acquisition or your target return on ad spend. But to give a simple example, right? So if you do lead gen and you say, I'm willing to pay $20 for a lead, well, guess what? Google's going to hit that $20 per lead, no problem. But if you told Google, if, if you communicate back to Google what a conversion, what a lead is, and you say that somebody filling out the form on my landing page, 
Well, guess what? That's not really what you're going for, right? You want people to fill out that form and then eventually talk to your sales team and then eventually put down their credit card and buy the thing from you. And that's the missing link for so many advertisers is they tell Google, someone filling out the form, that's great. Well, how's Google going to give you a $20 cost per acquisition? Probably by showing you on the cheapest and the most accessible keywords that are out there. And guess what? Why might a keyword be less expensive than a different keyword? Because there's less competition. Why is there less competition? Ah, well, because someone who's smarter than you has actually communicated better to Google that those keywords, sure, they get people to fill out forms on your page, but they don't lead to people buying the thing that you want, right? So it's that incomplete conversion. And so now you, as the less sophisticated advertiser who hasn't communicated your actual goals to Google, you're buying all the junk traffic. And sure, mm-hmm. you're getting the CPA target you wanted, but you're not selling stuff. Your revenue's not going up. Your profit's not going up. And that's the problem, right? And, that, and that's really where I think people nowadays, they can unlevel the playing field by taking that teacher step more seriously. Like, how do we tell the machines what we actually care about? How do we communicate that back to Google faster so they can steer the ship and, and do bid management faster? That's the key to success in, a, in modern PPC. Yeah. And there's a lot of available help out there, isn't there? So if you're a marketing leader or you're a practitioner and maybe you haven't figured it all out, there's a lot of thought leadership and available help uh, there uh, to help uh, get you kickstarted or, or guiding you or pointing you maybe in the right direction for that unleveling of the playing field. Exactly. And so, I mean, like your show, uh, I've got a what we call PPC Town Hall. It's a live stream we do every two weeks on YouTube and and then like the books I've written and I like I love reading search engine land. It's like all the latest news about the PPC industry. Uh, I love PPC chat on Twitter. So look for the PPC chat uh, hash mark. Um, that's a good place. Reddit is amazing for like learning from people what is actually working. Because, I mean, like you said, like it's gotten complicated, right? And, and to illustrate this too, like when people say, I'm going to do automated bidding, well, Sure, you're going to do automated bidding, but like which of the nine types of automated bidding is going to work best for your business? And then each of those nine has its own nuances around how you set it up correctly. Um, And then you have to make sure your attribution modeling is good. Because if you put in last click attribution, well, guess what? The whole system is going to undervalue more of the upper funnel traffic. But if you cut off your upper funnel, then who's going to go down to your lower funnel? Right, it's so complicated, and and you got to go out there and find what these uh, uh and I, I don't want to call them tips and tricks necessarily because they're not really tricks. It's just what are the best practices? How do you do this right? And so I totally agree with you, Dan. You got to look at the the thought leaders out there, and uh, you know they'll they'll help you get started the right way faster. Yeah, we're, we're all in a position where we can learn more. Go out and seek and leverage those resources. That's great advice. Now I want to shift gears a little bit, Fred, because you're a co-founder of a company, you've been through this entrepreneurial experience. What have been some of the most challenging aspects in in founding a company? And what aspect of that I, I hear from a lot of founders that's really difficult is establishing and then maintaining a very healthy culture. What has what your experience been like there? Yeah. Um, so I started Optimizer with my two co-founders 10 years ago now. And I mean, I, I would say the biggest challenge for for us has really been keeping up with Google. Uh, like my my co-founders, they they joke around and they're like, "Oh, we wish we had just built like a task management system." 
because you know what a task management system and and not to kind of like devalue what they do like asana um but you build it once and it by and large continues to work and you, and your job now becomes to market it and sell it and maybe refresh the ui a little bit we're in the space we're at optimizer right and we build optimizations for google but google itself is changing like every single month how google ads works and like um and so for us just to keep up with that and to make that transition, like in, in when we started, automated bidding was not a huge thing. So a lot of companies existed just to automate bids for Google. And then Google goes and makes automated bidding completely free. It's it's available to anyone. So us as a company, how do we make that transition and how do we make sure that we remain relevant? Um, and, and luckily, what we did find is like all of these automations, they're great, but they're better if you add humans to the mix. And even Google's own studies and research that they've done, they, they basically said, listen, if you put automation in place instead of just humans managing accounts, like you get 20% better performance. But if you add humans on top of that automation, you get another 10% better performance. And if you're talking about a million dollar ad budget, like that 10% is pretty significant, right? Um, but so that's, that's been a big challenge for us just to keep up with Google. And then as far as culture, I mean, that obviously means we have to hire people who are, um, kind of go-getters, right? Like they have to be willing to constantly have what they built become broken because of Google and then figuring out ways to fix it and not just fix it, but make it relevant again. Um, and that's both fun and challenging. And so it's just, again, it goes back to hiring the right people, that want to do this. And, and where we've been quite successful, I think, is hiring uh, freshers, so new college graduates. And what we offer them is a place where they can come and work and thousands and thousands of people are immediately going to see the work that they do. It's going to be very impactful, whereas they could go to Microsoft or Google, work at a huge company and maybe have that bigger brand. Uh, but what little piece of the, the, the algorithm are they going to work on? And is anyone really going to see that? So it's... Uh, you know, that, that's how we keep the culture interesting. Just uh, we celebrate people. We celebrate our customers. Uh, and we have to do the right thing for the company, but uh, you know, always something fun to build. Yeah, recruiting is certainly a lifeblood, especially of a, a young, growing company. And in your interviewing process, Fred, so back to this needing to have a go-getter uh, type of uh, personality, are there some things you do in the interviewing to try to better predict there's going to be a good fit? Uh, I think the prediction element, we, that's not really something we do. Um, but the interviewing process is quite rigorous. So we ask people to put together a presentation on a PPC topic. And oftentimes they haven't done PPC before, right? And so we're obviously not looking for perfection yeah. in that presentation, but we're just sort of looking for how much effort did they put in? How much were they willing to learn something new? And um Right? Because so many people apply to tons and tons of companies and then it's like, oh, you ask them to do a little bit more. Well, they don't really put in the effort. So then it's quite clear they don't care about us uh, or the industry that we're in. Uh, and then you sort of don't continue with that, right? I, th I think that's one of the things we look at. Uh, but, but it's also quite interesting because, and this is back to the Google days, but when I was hired, they were very strict about, you have to have basically an Ivy League degree so you had to come out of an actual ivy league or stanford which is wow. like a quasi ivy league um but if you didn't come from one of those schools they basically wouldn't give you an offer and over time they started like running these correlation studies like does that actually correlate to better performance and the performance reviews people get 
and eventually they were like, no, it's, it's not that strong of an indicator. So um, predicting based on those types of things doesn't always work out. Yeah, that's a great example. So over the course of your career, thinking back, I'm sure you've had mentors, you've had um, certainly uh, built a lot of trusted relationships, but what's been that one best piece of business advice you've ever received? Yeah, I mean, so uh, my best friend, Gap Kim, uh, he, he started working at Google around the same time that I did. And we used to play hockey together, uh, roller hockey together with Sergey, uh, which was always good times. But um, but he basically at one point told me, you got to be close to your customer, right? And, and it kind of was a, the advice was in the context of we were young and just had started at Google. And then it was like, do we get promoted? And if we become promoted, do we yeah. become managers? And what do we start doing? Uh, but he said that being close to the customer, like that's the most critical thing you can do. And it makes sense, right? Because if you talk to the customer and you know what the customer wants, you can actually build meaningful solutions. And that's like a guaranteed source of income for anyone. The moment that you step away from knowing what the customer wants and, and your focus now is entirely on like, what do my employees want? Well, what's the layer of a company that gets cut the most severely in any sort of layoffs? Well, it's the middle management usually, right? Because yeah. other people can come in and manage that. And it's probably not that critical. And again, not to sort of devalue what they do, but but if there is one thing that makes a company tick, it's the revenue that's produced by the customer. And the reason the customer gives you their money and gives you their trust is because you build for them what they truly need. And the only way to know what they truly need is to remain close to the customer. And so that's like the most invaluable position that you can be in in a company is like know what the customer wants. Because if you get laid off, you take what you know that the customer wanted, you go build it somewhere else and you'll be fine. Yeah, that's a pretty important point because um, one of the biggest challenges uh, as people rise in their careers, it can take you further away if you're on the front line, but then you take on these administrative responsibilities. And so there's always that potential that you'll be more insulated and you're hearing the customer voices interpreted by members of your team, right? Or through someone else. And some of the most impressive, impactful CEOs even that I've had a chance to talk with, they find ways to still maintain some sort of direct personal interaction with customers. Maybe it's, look, I'm going to schedule that intimate customer dinner you know, go out so I can have one-to-one -one dialogue or at an event, I'll find a way to bring in maybe a small group where I'll have like mini focus groups, but you have to work at it as you rise up the ranks, right? Because you may not be in a day-to-day -day position where you're going to have that naturally. So you, but it is important, right? And I think even for your employees to see that you still have your finger on the pulse of the customer personally, I think it makes a big difference, right? And how they view you as a leader. Yeah, it makes a huge difference. And for me, so that's been attending in-person events. And so, of course, because of what happened over the last couple of years, that's become much more difficult. And a lot of the events in the United States are only just now really starting to return, uh, but even then at a much smaller scale. Um, and this, again, the, the double-edged sword of technology, right? But we were able to survive the pandemic thanks to doing live streams instead of speaking at conferences. Yeah. But in that live stream, like it's a one-way voice. And just like you and I are doing, like we are speaking to you, the listener, and thank you for listening to us. But like, I kind of wish that you could tell me right now, you listener, like, what is it that's really on your mind, right? And you only get that at conferences. And so you can get sort of get it on a Zoom call. But here's the thing, like at a conference, there's the happy hour. 
yes. you know, um, as sad as it may be, but you give people one drink, like they really <laughs> tell you what's on their mind, much more so than after a cup of coffee, right? And that's the thing that was so invaluable at conferences. And I really want to go back to that um, because for me, that was a great way to know what does this industry need? What is frustrating people? What are the kinds of solutions that we could build that would really impact someone's life? Yeah, they're coming back. It's it's happening. So that uh, that's a positive. So when you think about the future, Fred, what makes you optimistic? Well, I mean, I think uh, I, I love in Silicon Valley. I've I moved here when I was 15 and I came from Belgium. And even though I'd never been here, I felt like I was coming home because I'm a, a nerd and a geek at heart. And uh, so technology does make me optimistic. I mean, I just really think it's going to do amazing things, going to make the world better, it's going to make life better. Uh, but we have to be careful stewards of that technology, right? And so for us as humans to really understand what is that new role that we have to play to keep things in check, to keep things working the way that we want them to work. Um, but then at the same time, like it's, for me, it's more fun. Um, I get more done. I'm more productive. I can have more impact on the world by using technology. And so seeing all this new stuff that keeps coming out makes me really excited. It is definitely a future of possibilities. So as we start winding up the conversation, Fred, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to take their digital marketing to the next level? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the, the core advice that I'll give is don't just trust the automation that's provided to you by the big companies. Figure out ways that you can layer your own technology on top of that. And again, it co- kind of goes to the the idea of uh, insurance, technology insurance, right? So because the machine learning and the artificial intelligence from big companies tends to be somewhat generic. It's based off of all the world's information. But you and your company, your unique individuals, your unique companies that have unique uh, skills and value propositions, figure out ways that you can bring your technology and layer that on top of that from the, the big companies to do the thing that really matters to you personally and you as a business leader for your company. Um, I think that's what we all need to pay more attention to and, and figure out new techniques to do this. Powerful words. Fred, thanks again for joining, sharing your experience, your passion, and best practices in this whole realm of PPC and digital marketing. It was great being here, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on. And a reminder to everyone to please continue to give the gift of feedback to help make this podcast even better. Go out rate and review. You can do that on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.